You are listening to the First Baptist Church Broken Arrow podcast. To learn more about the church, visit us at fbcva.org. Today's sermon comes from our pastor, Dr. Matt Brooks. Startup, small start, big impact. Welcome to church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is we begin week 6 of an 11-week series on the first six chapters of the book of Acts that we're simply calling Start Up, Small Start, Big Impact. I want to remind you that our content team has put together a devotional to walk alongside the sermon that you're about to hear. If you're interested in that, just kind of walking out and working out this week, the Spirit in and through you, text the word START to 45776. All of us have seasons of life where we're in need of a greater sense of power in our lives. Uh, I remember when I was in seventh grade and it was beginning to start football and just beginning kind of here through the grapevine, just some of the things that that my friends and brothers of friends were doing. And and so I I just had this sense that I needed to do more, that there was a sense I needed to begin to prepare more. So you meant just, you know, more push-ups, more sit-ups, begin running up and down my neighborhood and around my neighborhood. But it just didn't seem like it was enough. And so I went to my parents and said, you know what, I, I, I need something more. You know, some of my friends are eating power bars, Yes, yeah, so some of them, they're, they're beginning to, to have, you know, protein shakes, and they're going to this new store called GNC, and they're getting all of these things to help them, and I need something. And, you know, I was watching Rocky movies, and, you know, so I saw what Rocky was doing, so I didn't know if I needed to, you know, ingest some raw eggs, or I needed, I needed something. And so my mom, just out of nowhere, it was, it was almost just like she'd been waiting for this conversation her entire life, said, Maddie, I know exactly what you need. I said, well, what is that? She goes, you don't need protein bars, and you don't need some protein shakes, or you don't need to eat raw eggs, sons. What you need is this. And she went to the cupboard and pulled out this huge jar of Ovaltine right here. <laughs> Ovaltine. Now, for you Seinfeld fans, not round teen, Ovaltine, right? So for some of you who don't know what Ovaltine is, this was created in 1904 as a nutritional supplement. It has this kind of multi-chalky chocolate taste. And you can use water, but man, if you want to gain real strength, you add it to milk. And so I, I begin to, to take and partake in Ovaltine over and over and over again. And I tried it for about a week to 10 days. And can I tell you that I was given an undeniable power. But it was not strength. Tragically, it was indigestion. Yeah, it just... Ovaltine did not mix well with me at all. I'm here to confirm that, that the only thing that you should be mixing with milk is cookies, all right? And lots, lots of them as your pastor. That's, that's free advice right there, okay? Uh, oh, in our house, it, it's not Ovaltine. It's, it's Ovaltine. It's bad. It's really, really bad. We are in Acts chapter 3. Today, we're going to see an undeniable power through God's people. We're going to see a life-changing, spirit-led, life-altering power that is going to come through Christ, apostles. We're going to begin to turn pages in the book of Acts. Where undeniably the risen Christ has come. He's given his life for all of those who believe in him. And he's ascended to the right hand of the Father for he's God. 
And the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is going to descend upon his people. And the world has never been the same since. And as we studied last week, Christ's church devoted themselves to the things that ultimately matter. The apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and to the prayers. And literally the world has exploded with the goodness and gospel of Jesus Christ. And now his disciples are going to be living out this truth in and amongst them, specifically in the city of Jerusalem. We are going to today in Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 going to take in all of the astounding account of a healing miracle, a man who is severely crippled for life, and yet instantly he is going to be healed. Now, before we study this text, I want to give you a good summary of miracles throughout both the Old Testament and New Testament. I think specifically in the city in which we live in and, and some of the charisma and liberal teaching on miracles, before we study this text, I just want to give you a brief biblical summary of miracles. Number one, miracles are humanly impossible, but divinely simple. Miracles are, by definition, abnormal. They're incredibly rare, even in the Old Testament. We have hundreds and thousands of his years of history in the Old Testament, yet only a handful of miracles, and that is intended by God. If they were just to happen all the time, they wouldn't be called miracles, they'd be called normicles, right? Now, here's the amazing thing. Where you have 39 books in the Old Testament, only a handful of individuals expressing this gift of miracles, Jesus' ministry was absolutely saturated with them. Miracles were a central aspect of the ministry of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, there are 35 miracles in the Gospels. And these miracles had a divine intent. What they did is that they validated who Jesus Christ was as God. He was the Messiah. He was the Holy One sent to rescue us. And these healings had an awe-inspiring but divisive reaction among Jesus' participants. Uh, for instance, in John chapter 3, verse 2, a man by the name of Nicodemus, uh, arguably the greatest teacher in all of Jerusalem, came to Christ. And he comes to him by night because he doesn't want any of his contemporaries, any of his rabbis, any of the high priests to even know that he's congregating with Christ. But he comes to him in John 3, 2 and says, Rabbi, term of endearment and reverence, it is obvious that you are one who has come from God. For who can do such things? That even in the early seasons of Jesus' ministry, these awe-inspiring miracles were having quite the reaction. Consequently, in John chapter 11, verse 47, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for a handful of days. This was an awe-inspiring, incredible miracle. This Lazarus of Bethany, a friend of Christ. And instead of worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord after this miracle, the Bible says in verse 47 of John 11 that the high priest gathered together and said, what must we do with this man? They knew, but instead of repenting of their sin and falling upon him on their knees before him as God, no, they had to reject him, remove him, get rid of him. It is this sense of miracles that we give now our heart to the book of Acts. Now, here's something very important. Overwhelmingly, in the book of Acts, the apostles alone did signs and miracles. In fact, did you realize there's not a single miracle listed in the book of Acts where there wasn't an apostle present? In fact, furthermore, there are only two people in the entire book of Acts who performed miracles that were not apostles. Stephen, who was a deacon in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, 
and Barnabas at Acts chapter 14, verse 3. We don't even know what Barnabas did. He just did many signs and wonders with Paul. Here's my point. Miracles and healing were an apostolic gift given by Christ to the apostles through the Holy Spirit to do two things. One, to confirm that God alone was working in and through them. Secondly, to affirm their gospel message and authority. And so of the 14 miracles that we're going to study in the book of Acts, and as we today give our lives to this first and thrilling miracle, it is under the understanding that biblically and theologically, God alone is the miracle worker. Can God do miracles? Absolutely. Does God answer the fervent prayers of the righteous? Does he hear your prayers and take them to account in alignment with his will? Absolutely. But he heals not based upon our goodness or not based upon something we do or some specific gift that we claim. He heals as a result of his goodness to us. As the gift of life that he is to us for his glory alone. And it's with this understanding that we study one of the most amazing miracles in the entire book of Acts. And as you walk out of here and do life, understanding and appreciating with a renewed fire the miracle in the messenger. You see, the greatest miracle in each and every one of us is that God has once and for all, through faith in Christ, completely abolished the stain of sin and the penalty of sin in each and every one of us. And it is this miracle that God has taken the mess of our lives to now allow us through his message to be his messengers to all that he places around us. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 in your Bible says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried among them and who they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called beautiful. Why? To ask alms of those who were entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Now look at verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple this hour of prayer. You see, Peter and John grew up together in a fishing community of Bethsaida, which was in Galilee. They were beloved friends, and they were part of this inner circle of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. In fact, Peter, James, and John had this expanded access to key events in Jesus' life that other disciples did not. For instance, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, it was Peter, James, and John that were allowed access to the transfiguration of Christ, that they were allowed to see a unique manifestation of the glory of God in Christ. Elsewhere, in Mark chapter 5, verse 37, it would be Peter and John who were allowed access to Jesus' miracle of, of healing Jairus' daughter from the dead. No other disciples were allowed, just Peter, James, and John. In fact, it would be Peter and John in Luke chapter 22, verse 8, that Jesus would entrust to prepare the Passover meal. That Christ as our true Passover lamb who would literally hours later give his life on a cross and trusted Peter and John to prepare this meal that you and I still celebrate today, that you and I do in remembrance of who Christ is and what he has done. This body that was broken, symbolizing in this bread of the Lord's Supper. This blood that was shed, symbolized by this cup that will be a sign for the forgiveness of all sins. Jesus, I think, knowing what was coming for Peter and John, entrusted them to lead this meal. 
It would also be Peter and John who were the first disciples of Christ to visit his tomb after his resurrection in John chapter 20, verse 2. You see, previously, before their fellowship of Christ, they were partners, Peter and John were, in a lucrative fishing business, according to Luke chapter 5, verse 10. They were fishermen. Now they are truly fishers of men. And that is why Luke the historian pairs them together frequently as they travel and minister together throughout the book of Acts. And so here they are in Acts 3 verse 1, heading to the temple together at a specific time and location, Luke tells us, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour at the end of verse 1. You see, specifically, this is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. For all Jews counted the hours from sunrise beginning at 9 or 6 a.m., You see, the ninth hour was a prime time for temple crowds. One, because it was one of the most prominent times of prayer, both 3 p.m. and 9 a.m. Furthermore, it was a time of the tamid offering. It was a time of evening sacrifice. And so there was an incredible amount of people at this temple at this time. You see, Judaism took almsgiving as an incredibly serious matter. God's people saw giving to the poor as an expression of compassion to God, as a way to honor the Lord above all things. And it's this context that now a man appears in verse 2. And a man laying from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those entering the temple. As Peter and John approached this temple, they would encounter a man that Luke tells us was crippled from his mother's womb. In fact, the imperfect tense in verse 2 conveys that this was a daily routine of the man. He was always desiring to be placed by this gate called beautiful. Now, the beautiful gate, or the Nicanor gate, was a magnificent, massively large gate adorned with gold and opulent Corinthian brass. In fact, uh, additionally... According to a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, this gate was 65 feet wide and 75 feet high. For a point of reference, uh, the lights right here in our worship center are 25 feet high. So three times this size. In fact, according to Josephus, it would take 20 men even to move this gate. And in seeing Peter and John heading into the temple, he requested of them alms, Luke says in verse 3. You see, this lame beggar had been coming to the temple for years. This was the most opportune time of the temple. You see, tragically, this man is being lame, wouldn't be allowed to go in the temple. You see, he would have been by his contemporaries and by those religious leaders of the day deemed unclean. Because of his malady that was congenital from birth, it would have been either his sin or his parents' sin or his grandparents' sin that those would have said what led to his. So he's not worthy to come into this temple. And so what else was this man to do? I mean, up until Acts chapter 3, every day of his life was filled with helplessness, hopelessness, uselessness. And so this beggar did what he'd always done. The only thing that logically he could do to survive, in fact, look at verse 5 really quick. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Probably to eat. What else would he have asked for? Little did this man know that his life was about to completely change. 
As a result of the sufficient, sovereign work of God through Peter and John, this man's life would never be the same. So much so that Luke tells us in verses 4 through 8, and then Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk amongst them and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. For days upon days, months upon months, years and years, every year of this man's life, no one had given him any attention. No one would have given him the time of day. No one would have thought him worthy of even mere words. Eye contact would have been unheard of. This man was helpless. This man was hopeless. This man was useless to those around him, but not to those who were in Christ. Notice it's Peter and John who take the initiative. Notice they say in verse 4, and they directed their gaze at him. Look at us. You want to know why? You see, selflessly ministering to the lame and the invalid was a prominent part of Jesus' ministry. Throughout the Gospels, our king is ministering to the least of these. Our king is prioritizing his time by prioritizing all of those who had a need in Christ. Not those among stature or religiosity, but no, those who, were, who had a genuine need and help And so does Peter and John who saw firsthand Jesus' personal care and love for those who needed help the most. And so now, just like Jesus did, Peter and John were moving through this innumerable crowd. They heard this man crying out, alms, alms, alms. And providentially, they noticed him even in this overflowing crowd. And Peter, just like Christ, began to have a fixed gaze upon this man. Peter instantly, something intrinsically within him, was compelled to focus on the need of this man. And in turn, this lame man focused on Peter and John. In fact, Luke is trying to have such an impact on us in this text This word for gaze is the same word used of the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, when they were gazing at the ascension of Christ. Then they were fixed on Christ to physically, as a man, ascended right before them to the right hand of the Father. It is that same zealous intentionality that Peter and John focus on the needs of this man, this man. It will be the same pattern that will now set a trajectory of ministry throughout the entire book of Acts. That it will be God's people caring and loving and pursuing those around them and meeting their needs. You see, those churches who are most effective to reach the many are effective in caring for the one. You see, and before you can ever meet a need, You have to see it. Profound, right? Yet how many times do we go through life in each and every day? Walking around our neighborhood, 
hanging out in restaurants, hanging out in ball fields, hanging out in a cubicle, hanging out in our schools. There's needs all around us. Do we see them? I was told this week that the city of Tulsa, and you've seen this, has had a spike and increase from the pandemic in regard to homelessness, vagrancy. In fact, the demographer states that there are 3,000 homeless in the city of Tulsa. In fact, yesterday, as I was headed out to go coach a football game, they were right by our church, not a mile and a half from here, or right off 51 by this Walgreens and Sonic. There was a group of people claiming to be refugees, saying they needed help, that the Lord has placed them here. They have a need. May we meet a need. That is why I'm so incredibly gracious for your generosity, for the privilege that we have and you giving to greater still, that, that we had an opportunity to give a $5,000 gift to Oklahoma Baptist from disaster relief in Florida. We are partnering and ministering. So, so many of you are giving your time, so many of your Sunday school and small groups serving around arms around BA or, or in John 3.16, that we're expanding this ministry to those who have needs and help in and amongst us. And it's this intentionality that will mark the book of Acts. It's this intentionality that now Peter and John from the ministry of Christ and the Gospels is graciously ministering to others. But here's something interesting. Notice Peter's response in verse 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Uh, I had a pastor friend who, who pastored a college church. And during the fall and spring semesters, his church almost doubles in size because he's got college kids everywhere. And, you know, they, they go to and fro and during the summer. And, then, you know, they, by God's grace, they always come back. Well, he tells a story about how one time in the fall that they were passing the offering buckets around. And one of his ushers came to him after one of the services and pastor, we, don't know, we had a gift. We don't know what to do with this. He said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we had someone give us a sausage egg McMuffin. He said, What? He said, yeah. And he said, they put Acts 3, 1, 6 on this sausage egg McMuffin. And so sure enough, he had a college kid in his ministry that had showed up to church and had been impressed upon him to give what he had to the Lord. And he put his sausage egg McMuffin in that bucket. And he put Acts 3, 1, 6. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Now, there was no word in the story of whether or not this college kid took a bite or two of it before he put it in the bucket. But here's my point. For Christ, everyone can help someone. Did you notice that, that Peter just gave what he already had? Nothing more, nothing less. In a somewhat perplexing manner, Peter didn't even give the beggar what he requested. But yet he commands the beggar to do something he's never done and could never do on his own. Notice also that Peter, as an apostle, doesn't use his own name, doesn't use his own status, doesn't use his own authority, but as an expression of his faith in the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. This miracle was not a result of sorcery or magic or demonic force or Jedi mind tricks or witchcraft or anything else, but the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This power did not come from Peter, but from Jesus Christ. Through Peter. 
And at the exact moment that Jesus granted Peter this power, the need was provided and the man was healed. It is this same faith in which God is asking you and I to express as we go about and live out his gospel. It is this same faith that you and I acknowledge that, Lord, how in the world can we meet all of these needs? But can we meet a need? Lord, well, we don't have all the answers. Lord, there's questions that our society is, is answering. We know the answer is Jesus. Help us build a bridge to get there. It is within this sense of faith that God promises to empower us through each and every miracle that he requires of us. And that is why Peter, from the beginning, gives all praise and glory to Jesus Christ, places all focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, this is interesting. This was a common designation of Jesus in the Gospels in the book of Acts. It appears 13 separate times. But why would Peter use this designation to this crowd through this miracle. Here's what I think. Because Nazareth, at the time of the book of Acts, was despised by most Jews because Nazareth was a worldly place. But yet here is Peter in the world, but not of the world, giving all praise and glory, not to himself, but Christ through him. You see, it is one thing to say that you represent God and then can't heal a thing. No life change. It is a whole nother thing to say to a man who has from his birth been lame since his mama's womb can't walk and to look at him and say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. You see, this name of Jesus Christ represents the abiding authority given by God to Christ now expressed in his apostles. Even though bodily, the Lord Jesus Christ is in glory at the right hand of the Father in Acts 3, he is ever present as Lord through his servant, Peter and John. And it is his resurrection power now that abounds in and through his apostles. Peter gives this lame beggar what money or the world could have never given him. Rise and walk. And can I tell you that the Lord will do the same with you? That the Lord Jesus Christ will always give you abundantly more than what you could ever ask for. By God's grace, I've been following Jesus for over 35 years now. It has been my humble impression and reflection upon that relationship that God has always graciously, through Christ, given me more, done more than what I could ever ask for. I was recounting this the other day with Brienne, my wife, who, by God's grace, made 19 years of marriage this summer, 19 years of marriage in July. And just for me, I don't know about for you, but you know, the Lord always impressed upon my heart, my my future spouse. And so even I remember you know, the age of six and seven and eight, and I think so much of this was you know, seeing the, the love of my parents and their love for Christ and one another and for us that, that God used to set that foundation. But I remember praying each and every night for my future wife. And oh, can I tell you now, 35 years with Christ, 19 years with Bryn, that God has given me immeasurably more. 
How about with your children and those who God has placed in your home and all the complexities of all of these things and all of this stuff? And can I tell you that God's grace, that God's mercy has always been more than what I ever deserved. And so here it is with these people at this temple sitting right here by this gate, the most prominent and opulent gate that the temple had ever known. Here they are about to see a miracle that only know the Lord Jesus Christ can do. And it is more than they could ever imagine. So much so that now this miracle must lead to faith. For Peter now acts upon the very request in which he asked of this man in verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. In fact, did you realize that Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us that this man was more than 40 years old? And so for, for someone who's in that demographic, I can appreciate the gravity of this miracle. Now let me ask you this question. Up until now in Acts 3 verse 7, who's displayed more faith? The lame beggar or Peter? You see, Peter is the one who publicly seizes this man as an act of faith. It is Peter the one who embraced the risk and stigma of just preaching the greatest sermon the world has ever heard, of now testifying as someone who has seen the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected and ascended, now as an apostle empowered by the Spirit. It is Peter who stands before this crowd on behalf of this man and helps him up. And immediately, through this act of faith, his paralysis was completely healed. His feet, his ankles, his bones receive instantaneous strength, is Luke's point. You see, it's the same in your life. The movement of God in your life starts with a first step of obedience through your life. Did you notice that Peter just gave this man what he had already had? That Peter is just trusting the Lord and that the Lord placed this man in front of Peter and thus Peter was going to place the Lord in front of this man. It is this intentionality through the humility of faith, that God undeniably completely heals this man. So much so that the Bible says that all previous symptoms are gone. Look at the end of verse 8. And he was leaping and stood among them, began to walk and enter the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. That this man who had been lame for his entire life, no more, because of the power of Jesus Christ, this man who had been despised, rejected, helpless, hopeless, useless, no more because of the power of Christ through his servant. It is this imagery that Luke makes a fitting point right here. You see this phrase here, walking and leaping and praising God? For those of you who know your Bible, you know that in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah tells us that at the time of the Messianic age, that as a result of the salvation that will come in and through the Messiah, the lame will leap like a deer. 
And it is this beautiful example that God will use to this man who I believe accepts Christ, who is genuinely praising God that will remind all of those around him that God has come through his son, Jesus Christ. Repent and give your life to him and he will give his life to you. Oh, the reaction that this led among this crowd. In verses 10 and 11, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms all of these years. And they were filled with wonder and amazement of what happened to him. You see, supernaturally, this public miracle provided a visible and invaluable illustration of the life-changing power of Christ through Peter and John and these apostles. And though Peter will begin preaching a sermon in verse 12, we'll study this next week, oh, the power and sufficiency of Christ has already begun. It is this reminder that as you and I walk out of here and do life, that we must remind ourselves that God prepares the way for us to show his way to those around us. That the Lord is already at work in and around us. And whatever he calls us to this week, the Lord is already working and calls us to engage in this work. That this truth that Christ has saved us and desires to live through us and to bless others by telling them about him is a way in which we are to live our lives as a way of life. And so who is it this week that you can share what God has miraculously done in your life? Just share what the Lord has done. I mean, for some of you, has saved you at an early age and sustained you through many ages. For some, recently, you've accepted Christ or renewed your commitment to Christ. And then you see this renewed way of life through the eyes and heart of Christ. Who is it this week that you can share this with? Who is it this week that you can show the faithfulness of Christ to what God is doing in and through your life? His love, His grace, His mercy, His peace, His joy through all of these seasons? Who is it this week that you can tell others about him? Oh, there's so many needs around us. And though, yes, for Christ, everyone can help someone, everyone can meet a need, but we also must ultimately take that need and point it to Jesus Christ. And may the power of Christ Empower you everywhere you go for Christ as you share his miracle in and through you one person at a time. And it is this intentionality that now in Acts chapter 3 through the rest of the book that will mark God's people. That they will focus on Christ and one another and as needs arise, they meet those needs and point others to Christ. And something that will start so small will have such a life-changing, big impact. May we take this same miracle in and through us. And may we link it to his message. And may we be his messengers for his glory. Oh, the joy that Christ has. Though this lame man can walk and is healed and I believe accepted Christ will see this man in glory 
oh God has given us from this paralysis of sin and this lameness of our mind to renew in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ a new way of life so that we can run and leap for him. Oh, may we share like never before the miracle and the messenger. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe to hear other messages. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us online at fbcba.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast and always remember you are loved.